You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe who helps people who feel far from God to know Jesus, cultivate freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We're also a diverse tribe who welcomes everyone from bikers to bankers, PhDs to GEDs, every age, race, and walk of life. So whether you're a longtime Christ follower or a spiritual investigator, we hope you're encouraged through our content. Enjoy today's teaching. Well, man, it's good to be with you guys here in the Cameo Theater, as well as those of you that are worshiping online. And today we're going to talk about spiritual warfare. And part of what spurred this in me was a couple of months ago, I was walking by one of our doors right outside here on one of our other buildings right next door, and I saw this strange writing around the door frame. And I suspected what it was, and I took a picture of it with my phone, and I texted the picture to a friend of mine who's helped a lot of people out of generational Satanism, and she replied to me that indeed it was what I suspected, that it was, a, it was in these strange symbol letters, and it was a satanic curse written around one of the door frames of our building. They wrote another one around one of the door frames out front. And so what I did was from that, I went home, I got my grinder and I grinded it off in the name of Jesus and prayed over at our prayer leaders, pray over our buildings and all of that because in Christ we have power over these types of things. And one of the things that I've noticed is that um, there's an increase of witchcraft in our society. There are more and more social media, I guess, videos and profiles and pages that are trying to point people towards witchcraft. And there's actually a witchcraft store in my neighborhood now. So I'm going to be doing a few prayer walks by that in the coming days. You know what I'm saying? But here's what we're suggesting during this series is that there is a connection between your businesses, your relationships, your home, and an unseen realm. Now, we're not blaming everything on the devil around here, and demons aren't behind every single problem we have, but I believe they're behind some of the problems we have, and we have a source and a way to overcome. So wouldn't we want to know about that? And some of you are new to church and you're like, this sounds like a bunch of craziness and stuff, but I think if you'll stick with us through the eight weeks of this series, you'll see some significant truths that you can overcome these things as well. And so for the next eight weeks, every week, we're going to be teaching on this subject because there's a lot to talk about. So hang with me through the whole teaching today as we explore doors and strongholds, doors and strongholds. Now, as you think about doors, doors are like a portal into new dimensions of living. Perhaps you remember the first time you walked through the door of a church, and maybe you encountered something new. You thought about God. Maybe you remember other doors in your life, like the door of your first car. Does anybody remember your first car? Raise your hand if you remember your first car, and you remember when you opened the door to that thing, you got in, and you had this new sense of mobility. You could get around and explore in the world. Does anybody remember your first home or your first apartment? You remember the door of that place and you got the key, you went in there and now you didn't have to live with your parents. Amen to that, right? And so uh, you love that. I know other people in our church that have uh, some, I was talking to a friend from our church yesterday that had spent some time behind bars. Some of our brothers and sisters here have experienced prison and they would tell you when they hear that door shut behind them, changes you, you know? 
um, then I can remember my first day of kindergarten. It wasn't that long ago. Um, anybody remember your first day of kindergarten? And you remember going through the door and, you know, the nice smiley teacher? And together in this series, we're going to approach the door of Mordor. And look, one does not just enter into Mordor, does one. And so we're going to see from the scriptures how we can do this and how we can have power over the forces of evil, the dark spiritual forces of the world. Now, Jesus had a lot to say when it comes to doors. In fact, some of you remember a story in the New Testament, the Bible, where there was a guy who had some company in town, and the Jewish culture was a hospitality culture in that day, and if you didn't have food to feed your out-of-town guests, it was very embarrassing. So this guy didn't have any bread to feed his visitors, and so what he did was he walked next door to his neighbor's house, and his neighbor had already put the kids to bed. You know, parents of young kids, you know how hard it is to get those kids to lay down, and he'd already put his kids to bed, and all of a sudden, this neighbor who needs some bread is knocking on his door, asking for some bread, and he's like, hey, I already put the kids down, we're kind of settled in, you know, he tried to pretend like they weren't there, but the guy just kept knocking. I mean, this guy in this story, in, in the book of Luke, is, uh, he's kind of like the Sheldon Cooper of the New Testament of the Bible. I mean, you remember Shelton? He went across the hall to his neighbor. He's all penny, penny, penny. And this is what we've got to do in prayer if we want to see power come in and through our prayers. We've got to keep on knocking. And that concept is what's called chuzba. And chuzba, here's the definition of it. It's like a nerve. It's boldness, guts, and even stubbornness. And so with this understanding in mind. Stand with me now for the reading of God's word. We're going to be studying in Luke chapter 11. If you open your phone out Bible or your physical Bible, we'll be in Luke 11 most of the day. And here's the focal text, verse 9 from Luke 11. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. The very words of God. And so, when the people of God pray with chutzpah, are willing to keep knocking, Power goes out, demons are cast away and out, and people marvel at the goodness and power of our good God. And so what I want to teach you today is to pray with chutzpah. And so when I point to you, I want you to say that word chutzpah. Now, before you say it, you got to understand it's not chutzpah, okay? It's got to be like, you got to get the in there. Chutzpah, okay? Uh, ready to say it? Here we go. That's pretty good. That's pretty good for you guys. Uh, now what I want you to do is I want, before you sit down, I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell him, pray with chutzpah. Ready? Go ahead. Okay, you guys can go ahead and take a seat there. And some of you are like, man, they're spraying it, not saying it. That is just super spreader event here at City Tribe Church when we're talking about praying with chutzpah. Now, in Luke chapter 11 that we just read, you see a progression of aggression. So what happens is first is when you go to prayer, you ask for something. It's not very hard to ask God for something, is it? You just ask him. 
Uh, but then sometimes you have to go further and you have to seek. Remember, Jesus says, seek and you'll find. And so sometimes it's like when you lose your keys, man, you want to find those keys and you're looking all around. You have to search or look for those keys and you have to look for the answer to the prayer. But other times you have to get a little bit more aggressive and that's where door knocking comes in. You know, uh, some of you have been in sales and you know what's true is that activity generates opportunity, doesn't it? And that's aggressive to go and knock on doors. That's why I respect those of you that work in sales because it takes a lot of chutzpah, a lot of guts, a lot of nerve to ask for the deal and to knock on the doors to try and see if a deal can happen. And the same is true in our prayer life is that aggression is helpful in prayer. And if we're going to learn to do spiritual warfare praying, it's got to be beyond just asking, but it's got to be seeking and aggressively knocking with chutzpah. And I can think back to some years ago, a guy came up to me at church many years ago, and he says, Pastor Doug, I really need a job. I need to get a job. And while I'm asking God for something, I really want to be married, man. I really want to find the woman of my dreams. And uh, I said, well, let's start praying. And he started praying, and this guy was tenacious in his prayers. I mean, he was praying with chutzpah. He was praying every day. And then many months later, I get an envelope from this guy. And in the envelope, there's a business card of his new job and a wedding invitation uh, to his wedding. So God answered the prayers, right on? And so check this. Here's, here's another one, that, uh, this guy at church. This is many years ago, and the, a guy had a porn problem, and he, he's just addicted to porn. And he, he was going to this adult business that was in his neighborhood, and it was such a temptation. He had to drive by it on his way home. And he was always tempted to go into this particular adult business. There, there weren't smartphones at that time. And, you know, people like went to a place. So anyways, uh, he, we start praying together. And he like prayed aggressively every day. And one day I get this email. And the email is this guy. And he says, Pastor Doug, I've reached a new level of freedom from my addiction to, to this adult business stuff. And... Furthermore, Pastor Doug, the, the adult business went out of business. It, it went out. Like, it got put out. It's like, sorry about your porn shop, man, but prayer's more powerful than porn, right? On? So uh, we thank the Lord for what happened there. Now, look, um, these are Pastor Glory stories. You know what I mean by that? These are the ones that got answered. But I've got prayers that have not yet been answered. And I know you, all your prayers are probably answered. But I've got some that have not been answered. And look, I, I don't know why some of the prayers that I'm praying for have not been answered. I don't know why some of your prayers have not been answered yet, but I do know this, that they're never gonna become glory stories unless we pray with chutzpah, right on? And check this out. I know he's done it before, and when you remember those prayers that God has answered for you in the past, it gives you encouragement to keep knocking and keep praying with chutzpah into the future. I know he's done it before. And if he's done it before, you know what that means. He can straight up do it again, can he? And so I hope you'll receive some encouragement in that, in your prayer life, um, praying with chutzpah. Now, why is it that so many people just give up on things that they're praying for and people even give up on God and people deconstruct their faith and people bail out on church and uh, bail out on God, all these kind of things. And I believe that happens because of something called the strong man's strongholds. And we're going to read about that in Luke 11, look at verse 21. And it says there, for when Satan, 
strong man, who is completely armed, guards his palace, it's safe, until someone who is stronger attacks and overpowers him, strips him of his weapons, and carries off his belongings. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert, searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds that its former home is all swept and clean. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. And you've seen people who have gone through this, and I want to show it to you. You've seen someone who started going to church because they just wanted to clean up their life and have a better life. But they swept out the house without getting a new tenant. And look, um, it's not just following Jesus, being a Christian, you know, being a Christ follower, knowing God is more than just cleaning up your life. But it's about inviting a new homeowner, Jesus, into your life. And for those of us as believers that are believers, it's not just about coming to church and getting cleaner than we were, but it's about receiving fillings of God's word and the Holy Spirit in our lives that clean us up to keep us from ending up worse. You've seen people that just tried to clean themselves up and they came to church and all that and then they went off the deep end and they were seven times worse than what they were before because we've got to get a new tenant, not just clean up the house. Now, I want to ask a couple of questions about strongholds because I know that that language is new to some of you. First of all, what are strongholds and then how do we overcome them? So we're going to see more about strongholds from Paul because this isn't just something that Jesus talks about, but Paul, who came to faith in Jesus, later would write about it in um, in Second uh, uh, Corinthians. Now, we'll get to the Second Corinthians in a second, but before we get there, can I just give you a brief definition of a stronghold? And I got this from a guy named Andy Reese in his Freedom Tools book. is a place within us that contains beliefs, attitudes, and actions that stand in contradiction to God's established kingdom order. When touched, it can feel unassailable, hopeless, and unchangeable. We do not fully control it, we may feel trapped in it. So a stronghold is that, that behavior that you have in your life that you want to change, you've been trying to change, but you don't seem to be able to change. Maybe it's the depression you felt for a long time and you just can't, can't, can't seem to get out of it, you know? These are strongholds. Basically what they are is like they're, they're fortresses or forts spiritual military forts in your life where the enemy can reside and control and dominate you and harm you. Now, here's how it happens. Is that oftentimes we've been wounded. Many times these wounds start when we're children. They may start when we're younger. One of the things I've noticed about these wounds is that have you ever known someone that didn't emotionally mature to their age? And oftentimes you can watch that person was wounded when they were a teenager, and that's why they still have the emotional intelligence of a teenager when they're in their 30s or 40s, is because we don't mature beyond where our initial wound was. And what the enemy does when we're wounded in those ways is the enemy will come along and speak lies into us, and the enemy will take like a brick in the form of a thought and say, look, 
you've been hurt or you've been abused in this way. You know, we could go down a long list. And the enemy will say, you're damaged goods. And if you believe that lie, it's like putting another brick on the enemy's fortress and shoring up the stronghold that the enemy has on your life. You see how it works? Now, let's go to 2 Corinthians and, and see what Paul says about it. Chapter 10, we'll start in verse 4. We use God's mighty weapons, not mere worldly weapons, to knock down the devil's strongholds. With these weapons, we break down every proud argument that keeps people from knowing God. With these weapons, we conquer their rebellious ideas, and we teach them to obey Christ. And so when the Corinthian people, if you don't know, Corinth was a city. That's what 1 Corinthians is named after, an ancient city. And the, these people who lived there, when they heard the word stronghold, they would have thought of a military stronghold that was located just outside their city. And that stronghold was called the Agrocorinth. And I brought a couple of pictures of the Agrocorinth, and you can see it pictured on screen. And you think about it, this thing is really old. These are just the remains that are there to this day. Can you imagine what it was in the first century? And in the second picture that you see there, this military fortress, you can see it's made up of these individual bricks or individual stones. And it took a lot to build this thing. The Corinthian people couldn't imagine any military being able to come up and scale that hill and get over those walls to attack. I mean, it was a strong military fortress in that day. Um, and here's one of the things you need to know. That fortress, just like it wasn't built in a day, that's the same with the strongholds that we have in our thinking, in our neuropathways as well. See, it's a mind game that the enemy plays on us. He tells you these lies, and here's what happens. You're wounded from your past. I'm wounded from past things. And if I don't get healing from that wound, I'll try and heal myself with substances and other dysfunctional behaviors to make the pain go away. And every time I overuse the substance, you know, every time I use the drug to keep me from feeling the pain, every time I believe the lie about myself, um, every time I fall for the shopaholism or the materialism or the substance abuse or, you know, the porn addiction or whatever it may be, I put another brick on that fortress. And some of you are quiet because you know how it happens. But here, here's what I want you to know is that God has the power in his little finger to flick over the fortress. If you go back to Luke 11, you would see if I cast out demons by the little finger of God, if you go to Jerusalem to this day, Jeannie and I have been there a few times and you'll see Jewish people who will do this. You know what it means. It means there's more power in the little pinky of God than all the rest of the universe. When we're talking about spiritual warfare, don't think it's like two MMA fighters that are roughly the same skill level gonna duel it out. God is way infinitely more powerful than any of the other spiritual forces in the universe. And if he can take on with his little pinky the whole rest of the universe, 
What do you think God can do to the stronghold that you're struggling with and dealing with? He can flick it over quickly. And there are stories in this church of people that we've had strongholds or addictions or struggles in our lives, and we've seen in a moment God flick them over. So he can do that just like that in an instant. But you know what he does a lot of the time, and I don't know why he does it, and he hadn't told me yet, but he'll tell me someday, and I'll tell it to you, or he'll tell it to you, and then you can tell it to me, but a lot of the times, he doesn't flick it over in a moment. He lets you live in it for a little bit, and then he says, my daughter, my son, let me take your hand, and let's just take down one brick today. Hey, anybody can take down one brick today, can't you? And today, I don't know what you believed about yourself in the past, but today I want you to receive the truth that you're not damaged goods, you're loved, and you're a masterpiece. Some of you have acted out on your lust in past days, and you know that's what you used to do in the past, but today, won't you just take down a brick for today? You don't have to worry about tomorrow, but just take one down today. You, you see what I'm saying? God is in control of when the whole stronghold comes down, you and I can be in control of just taking down one brick today. We can do that. We can do that. We can trust God with one brick today. And can I give you a little microscript to use in your mind? Is that you've probably heard from the enemy this lie. See if you have. Kind of give me the nod if you've ever heard this. That's the way you've always been. And that's the way you'll always be. Is that true? No. Can I give you a different script here? I used to be that way. But today I choose to obey Christ. You follow me? Anybody want to receive that one today? I don't care what you did yesterday. I used to be like that, but today I choose to follow Christ. Now, um, I got to talk and I lost my place. Okay, so let's look at what Paul, the three ways that he told us to overcome strongholds. Proud arguments is number one. Proud arguments. Demons love pride and they thrive in it. And so just at that time where you start feeling superior to other people, pride can enter in. And so it's like, you think, you know, like we, we do this, we think we're superior to others because of, say, educational level, or we think we're superior because, you know, I have so much more fashion sense, or, you know, we think we're superior because, you know, better physical condition or better looks, or uh, I'm smarter, or, you know, I'm better at this skill or whatever, and pride can enter in. And if you notice, do you know any people who never admit that they're wrong about anything? You know, it's just like they never say the words, I was wrong. And that can tend to be a root of pride in their life. And we can make a, a, you know, a declaration that helps us get over this. There's power in these words. And I'm going to show you the declaration. And then if you can say it authentically, then I'll have you say it out loud with me. And here's the declaration. Heavenly Father, I humble myself before you, your word, and others. So if you can uh, authentically say it, I'll lead you through it just a few words at a time. Ready? Okay, here we go. Heavenly Father, I humble myself before you, 
your word and others. Good. That didn't hurt, did it? And so that was just one step in the direction of pulling a brick down. Now, here's the second thing that Paul says, is that we break down these strongholds through breaking down rebellious ideas. Witchcraft is equated with rebellion in the scriptures. Did you notice that as you've read the Bible? And we're a generation of people that was raised on rebellion, weren't we? And we embraced the theology of the Beastie Boys. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you got to fight for your right to... Sinners. <laughs> I'm at the front of that line, you know? And so we're so used to being rebellious that can seep over into our spiritual life and rebellion breeds bad things in the spiritual realm. What's the opposite of rebellion? Well, it's submission, isn't it? Now, obviously, we want to be submitted to God first, but God has placed human authorities in our lives. And I don't like authority. I don't know about you, but you know, you think about the government authority, and if you read through Romans, you'll see that he wants us to submit to governing authorities. Now, certainly, we're going to call it appropriate submission to authorities, because if an authority, whether it's government or whoever, tells us to do something that's against God's word, then we're not going to submit in that way. But most of the time, they're not trying to get us to do stuff that is, that's against God's word. And as soon as I say, submit to governing authorities, I know what, half of you are hating the guy in office at any given time, right? Uh, and so, look, we could pray for those in authority over us, and we we could be a little bit different than the culture out there. Do you think it's evidence of the enemy that people can't get along uh, when it pertains to politics, that our love isn't deeper than our politics are? How many of you have lost friendships with people over the past two years due to politics? Okay, don't raise your hands, but I know it's significant, okay? Um, so here's what we can, we can think about. It's like we can choose submission, and by the way, appropriate submission, because there is a drink the Kool-Aid, you know, controlling, not healthy submission. We're not talking about that. We're talking about appropriate submission. It's true in the home. The Bible says that kids are supposed to obey and submit to their parents, you know. And all the kids said, Pastor Doug, not cool at all. All the parents said, amen, Pastor Doug. You're clearly a man of God on that, you know, kids obeying the parents. But, you know, then the parents get upset when we say, hey, we want to submit to our bosses at work, those in authority over us at work. It's like, oh, I don't like that manager at work. Clearly demon-possessed. Okay, but um, here's the, we, we submit appropriate submission, right? On this, that's where we want to be. I could go down the list of all the different kinds of authority that there is in the Bible, but let's get straight to the declaration. And it's simply this, Heavenly Father, I choose to appropriately sub submit to you first and the authorities you placed in my life. So if you can say it authentically, I'll have you repeat this just a few words at a time. Ready? Here we go. Heavenly Father, I choose to appropriately submit to you first and the authorities you placed in my life. That was hard for some of you, but I, I'm proud of you for being willing to say that. Now, after the rebellious ideas are taken care of, we move on to number three, and that's obeying Christ. I know that part sounds kind of 
trite, you know, it's like obey Christ. But what this is, it's the discipline of obeying Christ. It's the Mr. Miyagi when he's teaching and the karate kid, wax on, wax off. It's that discipline. You know, how many of you had an angel come to your bedside this morning and awaken you from sleep to get you to church? The angel made you coffee and carried you on a chariot over to the church building today. Well, that didn't happen, did it? But you had to discipline yourself to get up out of bed, you know, and come down to the church and worship because, you know, we don't want to forsake the assembling of ourselves as the habit of some. And we want to come and worship. And those of you that read your Bibles regularly, you know that you have to kind of make yourself do it some days. You don't feel like doing it every day. And when it comes to prayer, sometimes you don't feel like praying, but you just do it anyway. You're doing the wax off wax on, wax off thing. You don't know why. Is anybody in a wax on, wax off season right now where you're, you kind of, I'm not feeling it spiritually, but you're still doing it spiritually? Well, that's good because a day is coming when that wax on, wax off reflex is going to come into effect when you have a spiritual battle and you battle your personal Cobra Kai, you know? There's a, a demon spirit that's come against you personally. And as you get in those disciplines, you know, I've met people that they tell me, Pastor Doug, I just read over this passage maybe sometime. I knew a scripture verse that I know I've never tried to memorize it. And it's because that person was in the discipline of reading the scriptures. And when they needed it the most, the Holy Spirit supernaturally popped it into their head where they could use it. Have you encountered that before where you knew verses you didn't even know you knew, but you just spoke them out because you were in the discipline. You were doing the wax on, wax off. And when you needed it, God showed it to you and gave you a Holy Spirit teleprompt is what I call it when you needed it in that moment. And so that's the obeying Christ. And look, if we can keep doing that every day that you obey Christ and you get into the word every Sunday where you're coming and worshiping and learning the word of God and, and worshiping God. It's like you're taking another brick off the enemy's wall. And before you know it, there'll be no more wall and you'll be free. Look with me at uh, Luke eleven eleven, And what we're going to see here is the thing that the enemy is trying to hide from you especially those of you that are spiritual investigators. The enemy doesn't want you to know God's heart for you is good. Look at verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks him for a fish, will instead uh, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Did you notice serpent and scorpion is spiritual language? Spiritual warfare language. Jesus says, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. So look at the next sentence. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those of you who ask Him? And that is the ultimate gift. This series is not so much just about how to get rid of demons, it's about how to be filled with the Holy Spirit who forces them out and away from us. And remember, you can clean out your house, but if you don't get refillings of Holy Spirit, you're open to seven more evil coming back. So this is not so much just about what we're trying to sweep out. It's what we're trying to fill in with the fillings of the Holy Spirit. And look, our good father wants to give this good gift. The Holy Spirit is the gift behind the door. He gives us illumination and knowledge and power in our lives. 
and in our prayers if we'll keep on knocking with chutzpah. Now, years ago, I read this book by John Ortberg, and it was entitled, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Got to Get Out of the Boat. And a story that he told in this book that really inspired me was about a guy named Bob. And Bob was a new believer, and he was being discipled by a man named Doug. And Doug, although it's a great name, no relation to me, okay, it's a uh, great name. And they would meet for coffee, and they would talk about the Bible and stuff like that. And one day Bob says, well, you know, Doug, I was reading in my Bible like you told me to do. And I read the part about Jesus says, if you ask for something, then Jesus will answer it. You know, he'll, he'll answer your prayers. And he said, is that really true? I mean, come on, Really? And Doug says, well, you know, you can't just ask for anything. I mean, you have to ask according to God's will and the stuff that God wants. And then he really does answer those prayers. And he said, I believe it so much, Bob, that I want to make a bet with you. I want you to pray for something every single day for six months. And you have to pray every day. But if you don't, if you skip a day, then the, the bet's off. But if you pray for something... Every day for six months, at the end of that six-month period, if nothing happens, I'm going to give you $1,000. But if something happens, you got to give me $1,000. So we've got a little Christian wagering going on here. So Bob says, I'll I'll take those odds. I'll try it. And Doug asks him, well, what are you going to pray for? He says, well, I'll pray. God probably wants me to pray for Africa. And... Doug says, well, that, can't you be a little more specific than that? Because you want to make sure you know when God answers the prayer, right? So he says, okay, I'll pray for a country in Africa. I'm going to pray for Kenya. He says, okay. So every day, Bob prayed for Kenya. And nothing happened for the longest time. And then one day, Bob was at a luncheon. And at the luncheon, there was a lady from a nonprofit sitting next to him. And he strikes up a conversation with her. And he says, what do you do? And she says, well, I run an orphanage. Oh, where are you from? Where's your orphanage? Guess where it was from? Kenya. Bob's like, dang it. I'm about to lose $1,000 here. (laughs) So they get to chatting it up, you know. And he's so inspired by the work that she's doing at the Kenya orphanage that he actually takes a flight over there to see what's going on in this orphanage. And he sees the conditions of the kids. And he's like, man, they need medical supplies here. And Bob happened to know that these American medical supply houses and pharmaceutical companies have a lot of stuff that expires by American standards. But they could donate it and send it over to Kenya. And it would be totally useful. So he wrote letters. When he got back to the States, he wrote these letters to the medical supply houses and pharmaceutical companies. And they, to his surprise, they came through And they donated over a million dollars worth of medical supplies and prescription meds to these children at this orphanage. And that would be like an awesome God story if that's where the story ended. But it continues. Bob went back over to celebrate this huge donation that was given for these children. And while he was there, he finds out that this is the largest orphanage in all of Kenya. And the president of Kenya actually showed up to the event. 
and he meets Bob and they hit it off and they go on a drive together and they're driving around the capital city. And as they're driving around, Bob sees a strange looking building out the window of the car and it was strange enough where he asked the president, what's that building over there? And the president said, well, it is a prison for political prisoners. And Bob said, well, I don't think that's a very good idea. I think you should let them go. You know, and so he, they keep driving. Bob finishes his trip. He comes back home to the United States. He lives in the Virginia, Washington, D.C. area. And he's, he's sitting at home one night. He gets a phone call. And it's someone from the State Department. And he's kind of worried that he's in trouble. And the guy on the other end of the line says, Hey, Bob, have you been traveling to Kenya lately? Have you been talking to the president of Kenya? And Bob's kind of sheepishly says, Yeah. You know, he doesn't know what's going on. He thinks he might be in trouble. And then the guy on the other end of the line the state, from the State Department says, Hey, Bob, did you talk to him about political prisoners? And if so, what did you tell him? And Bob says, well, you know, yeah, I, I did talk to him about political prisoners. And I told him that I think he should let him go. And the guy from the State Department said, Bob, we've been trying through, you know, political channels to get these people released from that prison for years. And they just released them because of your conversation with the president of Kenya. So... Political prisoners get released. Children get million, uh, over a million dollars worth of medical supplies because one guy was willing to pray with chutzpah. See? And the reason that that Bob story is so significant to me personally is because many years ago when I was out of the ministry and really felt no hope of going back into the vocational ministry like I felt called to do, there was a friend of Jeannie and mine, mine who read the same book, the same John Ortberg book, and read that same Bob Challenge story. And she took the Bob Challenge, and every single day she prayed for me to be restored into the ministry. And she got to see at the end of that challenge me standing up on stage with other pastors, endorsing me and restoring me back into the ministry. And I can tell you, I'm standing here today because one woman had the chutzpah to pray every day. And I'm... Thank you, Lord. And so here's what I want to suggest for us today. I want to ask you to take a kind of a Bob challenge in the eight weeks of this series. And what I'm calling you to is eight weeks of warfare. Eight weeks of warfare now, what some of you may not know is that the number eight in the Bible is a number of new beginnings. You know that the eighth day is actually the first day of the next week. Do you know that um, when Noah's flood happened, how many people were in the ark to repopulate the new earth? Eight. Do you know that David was the eighth son of Jesse to bring a new beginning to uh, the nation of Israel. And if you look uh, in the gospel, how many gospel, how many Bible authors or writers wrote about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? Again, eight. And other than when Jesus rose again from the dead and some resurrection broke out at that time, how many Bible characters were risen from the dead? Eight. And then if you look at the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus in John 3, about the new birth, he uses the word born eight times in John chapter three, verses one through eight. 
And what if God was going to do something significant in you and me after eight weeks of warfare? Every single day we pray a spiritual warfare prayer. And I believe in this so strongly that I've actually written out and put together a warfare prayer. Jeannie and I prayed it every single day for two years and God used it to, you know, to restore our marriage and restore our spiritual lives. So we put QR codes around that you can hit with your phone and you can get it. We're trying to save money on printing around here so you can get it with a QR code and have it digitally. You can print it yourself at home. You'll see it here on the front of the stage on the screen as you walk out today. Just hit that QR code for the spiritual warfare prayer and you'll have it. And every day, like I'm going to do, you can read it out loud every single day. And some of you are like, Pastor Doug, man, I don't know if I could read that, but I can listen to it. Well, I recorded it this past week, and we're going to put it out on our podcast, our social media, our YouTube. So if you're in the car on the way to work, and you want to listen to this spiritual warfare prayer and just agree with it in Jesus' name while you're driving in your truck or your car on the way to work while you're working out, you can just listen to it and agree with it and do a spiritual warfare prayer every day during this series. Can you imagine the power of it if enough of us in this church pray warfare every single day strongholds are going to come down right on and so what I want to ask you to do is kickstart it just a little bit in this service and if you would stand with me and the band's going to play and we're going to have some more songs and I'm going to invite you some of you um, I, this may not be for everybody but some of you I want to invite you to come and literally kneel at the front and pray a warfare prayer. Look, what you got to understand, it's true what Samuel Chadwick said. The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from fearless studies, uh, prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we do what? When we pray. And so I want to make the devil tremble today. And so we got to pray with chutzpah. And I want to invite you to literally walk down and kneel and pray and knock on the door, man. If you want to hit the floor a little bit, pray with some chutzpah. Come down. And the reason I invite you to have literally walk down is that takes more chutzpah than it does just sit there and ask for it. You know what I'm saying? So some, some of you come down and kneel and pray and say, God, I'm praying with chutzpah for my new business endeavor that's going on right now. I'm praying with chutzpah for physical health or healing. I'm praying with chutzpah for that marriage that's struggling. I'm praying with chutzpah that my kids come to know you, Jesus. I'm praying uh, for people in my life that I love that are struggling. I'm praying against the enemy, and I'm praying for this church because, man, my pastor's a Yehu, and he needs help. Man, God, would you help Pastor Doug and protect him from those nasty demons? Would you pray and bring freedom from the addiction that I've been struggling with. God, you know, you see the stronghold, the fortress that's been built up in me. And I've struggled with it for years. And I'm starting to believe that idea that I'm always going to be that way. But I don't want to be that way anymore. And I choose today to say, no, if I got anything to do with it today, I'm going to be knocking with chutzpah on that door. And I'm asking you to take your little finger and flick it over. Knock down that wall. So let's pray and worship him and ask God to move on our behalf.
We're glad you were a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check the City Tribe YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, or our website, citytribe.church. May you go from this podcast knowing that you are loved.